Hey, this is Nathan Dawkin from Fantrax HQ, as well as the Nasty Cast and Fantrax Dynasty Baseball Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 136, Hot Tub Time Machine Movie Review. Brian, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You'll find Derek on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM, and you'll find me on Twitter at C McBrien, and popgoesyourworld.com is our website with all of our contact information. Derek, how are you, my friend, and what's going on in pop culture in your world? Chris, I am doing very well. Thank Good. you for asking. Um, not a whole lot of uh, craziness going on in the pop culture world. Uh, I have actually been pretty busy at work, as I think I mentioned on the last episode. So haven't had nearly the amount of free time I, I would normally like to have to dedicate to pop culture and, and that kind of thing. Uh, we are still getting a lot of free cable channels uh, with movies from the 70s, 80s, 90s and 2000s. So my PVR is full of stuff that I hope to get to in the not too distant future. Um, I had a chance to watch uh, the movie Copland from the 90s. Did you ever see Copland? I didn't, but that's the one that um, that Sylvester Stallone put on a bunch of weight to play the role, yeah. right? Yeah, Sylvester, big cast, Sylvester Stallone, Robert De Niro, Harvey Keitel. Um, a lot of people, you watch it and you go, oh yeah, I totally know who that guy is, where you're like, I don't remember his name. Oh, that's the guy who was in that thing. And that's a guy. Uh, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of big uh, recognizable stars. I remembered seeing it when it came out on video in the 90s and sort of going, yeah, it was just okay. And then it was on TV a couple of nights ago and I thought, oh, I'm going to watch this. And I'm like, yeah, it was just okay. <laughs> so it wasn't really, it didn't, it was, it was literally just okay. It yeah, I remember hearing it wasn't, it wasn't great. great. So, yeah. yeah, but it was neat to see all those people, especially, you know, now that movie's 20 years old. But um, one other quick thing, the, so my office, like so many other offices right now is completely closed down, but all the employees are working from home. And I was on a, a conference call today where they were, it was like a big town hall where they brought on hundreds of people and like the big executives came on to give us a status report as they've been doing on a pretty regular basis. And now they're starting to talk about going back to work plans. Not that we're going back to work yet, but they want it to be like, when we go back, these are some of the things that we're doing. These are the precautions we're taking. These are the changes. And uh, it made me laugh because they said uh, the person who came on who was in charge of this uh, this project, they're like, well, you know, at our company, it's so big. Everything needs a like needs a code name so that you know exactly what we're talking about when we start going into the details. And they said, we're going to be calling this project Genesis because we're creating life from lifelessness. And of course, we watched Star Trek 2 last week and the project Genesis, that's the exact quote they use. It Very creates nice. life from lifelessness. And so the person who brought it up said that, paused for a second <laughs> And then said, and for those of you who are big Star Trek fans, I hope you got a little chuckle out of that. So I was like, oh, good. It was deliberate. <laughs> so I thought it was uh, I thought it was funny and I thought it was timely given that we had just watched Star Trek, too. So oh, nice. anyway, that's that's the extent of my pop culture from this week. How about yeah, you, Chris? What yeah, you I haven't had a lot of pop culture. I've been busy working. Uh, my wife and I have watched started watching. I mentioned last week we started watching Orange is the New Black and we're into se uh, the second season now. And I'm really enjoying the show a lot. So that's that's really, really good. And my kids like watching American Idol. And so we we're a couple of weeks behind. So we started watching it now because of the the pandemic. What they're doing is is that the people the, the, the contestants actually sing from their homes. I don't know how they're piping in the, the band, because I think even if you had the band play, you know, from different locations, there's got to be lag. Like, I, I, so I can't figure out how they're doing it technically, but the people are singing like from their living rooms and their bedrooms and then they, everyone votes. So my kids like watching it. So that's, that's about all we've had to do. Uh, but one thing that I do want to go to, here's your dad joke of the week. Now I try to keep it related to the topic of each episode. And since this week's movie is about time travel, which we're going to get to shortly, I wanted to share a time travel dad joke with you. Okay. <laughs> Derek. I'm already worried about where this is going to go. <laughs> As well you should be. You are every week. Derek, what did the clock do when it was still hungry after dinner? 
I have no idea. It went back for seconds. It went back for seconds. You know what we need to insert right here is because <laughs> <laughs> that joke—that's the only way I could think to describe that. <laughs> well, here you go. Hold on, I got—I got to open a beer. I got to have a say, beer. I need to take a big swig of mine. <laughs> Let's have a drink because this is going to be a lot of fun. Almost like a pirate radio guy during the war. Like <laughs> I just go back and watch Meatballs and Stripes and Smokey the Bandit and all those shows that I love. Instead of playing a bar, they should have played like a minor league hockey arena. Yeah, Jesus, man, young man, drive me crazy with this stuff. And that wasn't cool. Long duck dong. For those of you who have not been keeping count, I have. Jaws, Star Wars, and Raiders of the Lost Ark are my three favorite movies of all time. Holiday rap. Yes, we're going to ring reggae dong for a horny day. All right, so uh, this week, uh, Derek, it was over to you. You got to nominate the the film, and as you are wont to do, you nominate a film from the millennial generation. I always go with Gen X. And you came up with the 2010 film Hot Tub Time Machine. Before I say anything about this movie, I want to turn things over to you. I want to just give you a chance, as I usually do, to have you just talk a little bit about the movie. Um, don't You don't have to get too much into it, because we'll break this whole movie down from top to bottom, as we always do. But maybe just touch base a little bit on why this movie. You got to... I threw it to you. You get to pick any movie you want from the millennial generation. Uh, why did you pick Hot Tub Time Machine? Why did you want me to watch this movie from 2010? Take it away. All right. So if you can't say Hot Tub Time Machine and not smile a little bit, you're probably not going to like this movie. Like the title is so crazy that you you got to think that it's just going to be this over-the-top zany comedy kind of movie. And in many parts, I believe it certainly is. So the the broad strokes premise, uh, not to give too much away, but we're going to, of course, give everything away. Hot Tub Time Machine is about four friends who are in their – I guess they're supposed to be in like their 40s by then uh, who have made some poor life choices, are basically not where they thought they would be once they quote-unquote grew up. And um, they go to try they go back to a, a lodge uh, in the mountains where they had gone 20 years earlier as uh, I, I don't know if they're supposed to be high school seniors or maybe juniors in college and uh, and sort of rekindle that memory of, hey, remember 20 years ago, 25 years ago, we came up here. and We had like the best time of our lives. Why don't we try and do that for this weekend to, you know, little feel good. And when they get there, the, the little town is completely run run down. The lodge is practically out of business. Like it is a far cry from what their memories, what it was in their memory. And they try to make the best of it. They have a few drinks. They end up going in the hot tub and shenanigans and zaniness and magic and whatever else happens. And poof, they find themselves back in 1986. Of course, they don't realize that at the time. They discover this rather quickly uh, the next morning. And, um, and then they have sort of it, it's your typical time travel type questions. It's, uh, you know, how did we get here and how do we get home or what happens if we make changes? Oh, no, we can't make changes because that could alter the future. Uh, but what if we want to make changes to deliberately alter our future because our lives kind of sucked and you wrap it all in a uh, 80s style comedy that's very self-knowing. In a couple of cases, they literally break the fourth wall to look at the camera. They they don't literally wink at the camera, but they pretty much wink at the camera for quite a few parts. And that's part of the charm of this movie is it's very self-aware. It's very silly. It's supposed to be. And, um, you know, you get your your feel-good ending. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of – uh, a lot of jokes at the expense of what the 80s was at about uh, what 80s movies and 80s comedies were all about. And again, I think it's the more you know, <clears throat> excuse me, the more you know about 80s movies and 80s comedies, I think the more you're going to get out of this because it is very self-knowing and is very self-aware. And this is part of the reason I wanted you to watch it, Chris, is I know how much you love 80s movies. And I don't think this is necessarily better than an 80s comedy but i think there's a lot to like here and i'm hoping that you're going to at least find a few things to to latch onto that you you can feel that you know made it worth your while to watch this two-hour movie now before i cut it over to you i mm -hmm. want to say that this I, I think the way i introduced this last week was this is one of those guilty pleasure movies but i don't think you have to feel guilty for liking it it's it's got a lot of funny parts in it and when they when my wife and i saw the preview for this movie so the movie came out in 2010 
at this point in 2010, we were still going to the movies pretty regularly, every couple of weeks for sure. Like we've always gone to the movie theaters uh, to see stuff. Like we're, we're movie people. We met at Blockbuster Video. We're always watching movies. This was still sort of around the time when home theaters were becoming a thing. But we didn't have Netflix. We didn't have uh, Amazon Prime. You didn't have like all these on-demand things. So you still went out to the theater to see more than just the big event movies. So I remember we saw the preview for Hot Tub Time Machine a couple of months before, and we sort of went, that looks like it could be really good. We liked the cast. We thought the premise was was silly enough that it could really work. Uh, we both loved 80s pop culture. So we thought, well, if it's going to make fun of that, we're, we're in. Uh, the movie came out uh, on March 26th. 2010. Well, my wedding anniversary is at the end of March. And usually in March, my wife and I take a weekend trip to Niagara Falls to celebrate our wedding anniversary because it's only a two and a half hour drive from here in Toronto. Uh, so sure enough, 2010, that's what we did. Friday night after work, we got in the car, we went to Niagara Falls. We went and watched Hot Tub Time Machine on the Friday night. And then we had a blast. We had this great weekend in Niagara Falls. So it just worked on so many levels for me when I saw this movie. I really enjoy it. And, uh, I, I, again, so many of the movies I recommend that you watch, I know you don't really care for. So I got to a point where I'm like, I'm just going to nominate something I like. And if you don't like it, too bad. And if you do like it, great. And I'm really hoping there's some things in here you like. But before I let you get into it, I want to just say it's called Hot Tub Time Machine. It's about time travel. It's not Back to the Future. It's not Quantum Leap. They don't go into great detail about how and why the time travel works. We just have to accept that a movie with a zany title and a zany plot, Hot Tub Time Machine, you just have to accept there is time travel. It's not really explained very well. It doesn't have to be explained very well. You just have to accept it. And I know often you come to me and say, I have these questions. I don't understand why this happened or why did this work? I don't want to answer any questions about time travel. I'm just going to say right now, you have to accept for this movie to work, the time travel works, and we'll go from there. So Chris... What were your initial thoughts on Hot Tub Time Machine? All right. <clears throat> so let's get into it. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned about the comedies, like, because as you, you mentioned, and it's true, the comedies from the 70s and 80s, I love. My university uh, roommates used to always call those things the Chris McBrien classic comedies. I loved all those things, and I certainly do. So I have to say, I was pretty excited when you nominated this movie to do here on the podcast because it's a comedy and it involves going back in time to the 1980s. What's not to like, right? Well, quite a bit, it turns out. Derek, to quote you from the Ishtar episode, this movie was so bad. Oh, my wife hated it too. So at one point she turned to me and she says, you can't keep forcing me to watch these bad movies. She's like, you have to change the format of your podcast. Now, I was quick to point out that we've been nominated for a podcast award here every year since we started doing the show. So I think the format's working okay for us. <laughs> but uh, but she may be onto something as far as the crap these movies go. In terms of the comedies, I want to touch base on this. I'm glad you mentioned it because I truly believe that comedies are a dying art form. During the 70s and 80s, the comedy, quote-unquote comedy, was sort of at the top of its game as an art form. It died in the 90s when all they made was independent movies. And I think they've been trying to bring back comedies with pretty much very little success ever since. As far as I'm concerned, the only one who's been able to make comedies consistently well since, you know, the turn of the century is Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow. Oh, yeah. man. Um, and, and it really, it goes to show that it's the director and the script that are the keys to a successful comedy. And I'll tell you why. Amy Schumer. I'm not a huge Amy Schumer fan. I, I, just, I don't think she's all that funny, to be perfectly honest. But my wife made me watch this movie she was in one night. I think it was called I Look Beautiful or something like that. Whatever it was called. It was really a forgettable movie. And it, it's too bad because the premise was actually pretty good for that movie. It's about this woman that she doesn't, uh, she doesn't look like the typical Hollywood bombshell. You know, and, and but she takes like a potion or something like that. And then she sees herself like in the mirror and stuff as a quote unquote beautiful model. So it gives her confidence in herself. And as a result, others see her as beautiful too. Great concept for a movie. But let me tell you, the movie sucked. It was awful. However, the reason I bring it up is because I also saw Amy Schumer in the movie Trainwreck. Derek, have you ever seen that one? I did. And I, I'm a big fan of Bill Hader. And so I got I, I was sort of predisposed to enjoying that before I walked in. I'm not a huge Amy Schumer fan, but I, I actually like that more than I, I probably thought I would. That movie was fantastic. 
I really liked it. And it was done by Judd Apatow. And so my point is this. The script and the director, like I said, are the key to a good comedy. Way more than the lead actor. Eddie Murphy, if you think about it, made a lot of bombs over his career too. Oh, like, yeah. Like the Golden Boy. Remember that? Um, Golden Child. Or the Golden Child, whatever it was called. So it, it for me, it always comes back to the director and the script as far as I'm uh, concerned. So let's just say that Hot Tub Time Machine didn't have a good director. It didn't have a good script and it sucked. I thought it was lowest common denominator filmmaking. Not just my take. But I love that. And I even it's funny you bring that up because my wife and I were watching it. We both seen this movie five or six times at least. Mm-hmm. And we're watching it together the other night. And I turned to her and I said, we're at the exactly at 10 minutes into this movie. And we've already had a poop joke and a pee joke. And I'm like, I, this is this is they know their audience and they're they're giving them exactly what they want. And and it was just more and more and more of that for the next 90 minutes, which is exactly what I wanted, exactly what I expected. And and that was the kind of humor that they were going for. And I thought it worked. And well, well for me, remember that Amy Schumer movie that I was talking about? The, 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 the premise in this was good, like that one was. It had a lot of promise. A couple guys from 2010 go back in time to 1986. Perfect, perfect opportunity to use the old fish out of water theme. You know, you could show how much times have changed. You could show how reliant we become on technology. You could play on so many things. But the whole thing is a hot mess. They should have called it the hot mess time machine. Uh, Like I say, it had promise. I mean, there's probably not a person on the planet who likes 1986 more than me. So a movie where guys go back to 1986, you know, sign me up, right? So anyway, let's get into this movie and break it down, okay? Because so, I know you like this movie, but let's let's really get into this because the movie opens up with autographs turn up the radio. So my wife turns to me immediately and she's like, well, the music's good. I got to give it that. This movie might yeah. be pretty good. It had a great soundtrack. And really, if you think about it, who better to go back in time to 1986 than John Cusack? Of course. I remember I attended his uh, Q&A session at Fan Expo. In 2016, uh, he did a session with his sister, Joan, and it was really good. But man, oh man, I remember John Cusack was so hung over for that thing. My God, I was in the front row. It was so obvious. I think he may have even mentioned it at some point during the session. But anyway, so John Cusack in a time travel movie going back to the 80s. So I'm thinking, okay, at this point, this movie looks really promising. And then Rob Corddry pulls into his garage after drinking and driving, which is another 80s staple, unfortunately. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, um, and and this is where the movie goes right off the rails for me. Rob Corddry. It's like the producer said, hey, let's make an 80s style comedy. Okay, well, what do we need? Well, it's got to be R-rated, so let's cram it full of F-bombs. Rob Corddry's lines were basically the F-word every second word of his dialogue. Yeah. That's true. And his character is absolutely reviling. So, and John, and, and John Cusack too, I would say for the most part. So, so I think you say whatever you want to say about John Cusack, but I think outside of One Crazy Summer, which is a movie that I really liked, John Cusack has never really been all that likable on screen. So this movie for me to be effective needed a bunch of guys that you totally root for and that you just totally like. Because that's what you need to offset the raunchiness factor of the movie. And I also think the only reason that this movie ever got made in the first place was because The Hangover made so much money. They just tried to copy the success of that movie. So they just said, oh, we'll we'll replace one daily show cast member with another, put in lots of drinking raunchiness and just felt they could just slap it all together and people would swallow it. So. All right. Uh. I, that's fair. I mean, uh, I, I do agree. My, uh, I'm not a huge fan of uh, Rob Corddry. Uh, I, I definitely agree with what you said. His dialogue is is pre- predominantly just f bombs and swears. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked him on the Daily Show. I thought he was actually pretty good on there. But I didn't even know he was on the Daily yeah, Show. Yeah, that's where honest. he got started. No. But here he was okay. just just repulsive. Um, I mean, I I liked what like part of what I really like about this was the, just the whole gimmick of it. The 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 fact that they were making comments on the various 80s things the um they did a little bit like you had said of the commenting on technology especially with the 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 young guy Jacob who goes with them mm-hmm. and he looks the same because he wasn't born back then uh whereas they all when they look in the mirror see their see their younger selves and that's obviously how people are supposed to perceive them um uh, you know there's a part where uh, Jacob's character is trying to meet a girl and he's like you know can i 
can I text you later? Can I email you later? And she's like, I don't know what any of those things are. And he's like, how am I going to find you? And she's like, come, just come and look for me. And he's like, oh, that sounds exhausting. <laughs> yeah, I remember so that. They, yeah. they had a few comments in there about the, the, the idea of the tech dependence upon technology. But I think it was more – for me, it was more about the opportunity to, uh, as most time travel movies do end up being about, um, looking back on your past and making changes when you like be, you're given this opportunity to to have a do over. And the first half of it, they basically decide we can't make changes; we have to do what we did. And so you have the scene where Rob Corddry says, "Oh, I'm gonna have to get my my butt kicked by these guys. I'm gonna have to say the stupid thing, and then the the guys end up beating me up because that's what happened last time." And John Cusack's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna break up with the girlfriend. She's gonna stab me in the eye with the fork." And then they start to think about it, and it's like, you know, we were so young and so full of promise, and we really don't like where our lives ended up. And then they sort of all for different reasons, decide, forget it. We're making changes. We're going to do what we want to do. Even though, uh, you know, the first part is let's try and keep it the same. Uh, but they find that they don't really have a good time when they keep things the same. And when they make changes and they try to use some of their future knowledge to make better choices, uh, partly because it's quote future knowledge, but partly because they're older and more mature. They, they have the experience to know taking path a instead of taking path b is a better choice for them um to me that that's sort of the redemption part of it is it's like you know i, I know you said that the characters didn't feel likable um but i i really started to like where they went and i think for me craig robinson stole this movie like he was the best part of this movie he wasn't in every single scene he wasn't in as many scenes as the other guys but he was great in every scene he was in he had some of the best lines he has the the great line that they use in the trailer when they first realize they've gone back in time he's like it's like some kind of hot tub time machine and then he looks right at the camera yeah, he breaks that the fourth wall yeah makes me laugh every time and then there's the scene where uh rob cordry is betting on the football game in the bar and because uh, he's he knows all the plays and he's making all the money. And of course, you recognize the guy that he's betting with, right? The guy in the bar. Oh, yeah. There was a guy from the uh, the Karate Kid, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. it was uh, uh, Billy Zapka. Yeah. And um, got a mustache. So, yeah. But yeah, I recognize. Yeah, exactly. it's right away. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, and then they they he ends up losing the bet and it cuts to the scene with the two of them in the bathroom. And that to me, I. Every time I see that scene, I, I laugh myself silly. And, and so much of that is is Craig Robinson. Like, he's just so good in that scene. It's, the, it's the, again, for me, it's... See, I, I disagree. I, sorry, I'm going gonna, gonna to jump in. I disagree with that scene. And we'll come back to that scene in a minute. Sure. we get to that part of the movie. Um, I thought that as much as I hated Rob Corddry, he had the best line in the whole movie during that scene. So we'll come back to that. But, <laughs> but, but, yeah, that but, but speaking of Rob Corddry, just one other thing that just came to my mind. When they decide to go up to that cabin... And they go to get in the car and, and then they go to pick up Rob Corddry. And, and then he yells at the kid in the back seat. Like, what the hell was that about? It just, for I, me, it just set the totally wrong tone right from the get-go. Yeah, I, I, I think oh. it's the opposite of what you were saying where, there, you know, he's not a likable character. He's not supposed to be a likable character. I know, and, I know. And but I think just, that uh. everything he does in the movie just reinforces that he is not a likable character. Even back when he was a, y a young person, he was not likable. He made bad choices. He was violent. He was drunk. He was, you know, he would screw around with the girls. And it's like through the course of the movie, they they decide, you know, the, at least the other characters realize like, hey, we can make changes now that will better our lives down the road. Whereas he's just like, I'm a douche. I'm going to continue to be a douche. And by the end of the movie, he's like, I'm going to exploit this knowledge I have to be rich in the future because that's what I want to do. He's just self-centered. It's all about him. And I think that he's a one one note character, but I think he plays that note really well throughout the whole movie. But they're supposed to be like, you know, all good friends and they stick together no matter what. And all that is really difficult with his character. Like I said, from the get go, if they'd all been really likable and just, you know, kind of just fun loving guys, it would have been a totally different thing. Um, another thing that was really predictable for me was what, when these kind of movies, these throwback things or TV shows, when they just throw in a bunch of actors from the time that they're set in. So I remember this, that 70s show. Never really watched the show all that much. But they used to do that. They'd randomly throw in people from the 70s, like Tommy Chong, for example. Yeah. Problem is, it wasn't Tommy Chong back in the 70s. It was like old Tommy Chong from now. 
Yes. It, it's stupid. It doesn't work. So when these guys go to the lodge and Crispin Glover is the bellhop, it's just so bad. And then that whole one-armed thing with the, the oh, running I gag. Oh, I love oh. that. He's oh. going to lose his arm and then he doesn't. And like, does this the time he loses his arm yeah. and the, the chainsaw and the elevator and the truck? It's all played for laughs. But it's just bad. It's just lazy writing. It's just a bad that made script. me laugh. It oh. made me every time. And it's so like. Bad. I was I was right there with those characters, and it's like, is this it? Is this, it's in the elevator? Oh, he's gonna lose it! And then when he doesn't, the characters are disappointed. I was disappointed. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I just I don't know. Maybe it's just the kind of humor that I enjoy is is you know the dick and fart jokes. It's like this is your lowest common denominator. I want to hear poop jokes. I want to bodily fluids and funny noises. Yeah. That's I'm laughing. I don't mind that. I don't mind lowest common denominator comedy. I just don't like lowest common denominator filmmaking. And it, like it just felt like the whole thing was shot in somebody's backyard, you know. Like I, I think I think I read somewhere it was like thirty million dollar budget to make this movie. You're kidding me! You could have made this movie on thirty grand. Like what the hell? Anyway, so these guys they get in the hot tub and they go back to 1986, and the first thing that you hear them playing is a Public Enemy song, and the band didn't come out until 1987, and then you hear Kickstart My Heart, which came out in 1989. So this movie is just awful in every possible way. They don't even have the dates right on this stuff. And then Rob Corddry barfs on the squirrel. <laughs> I, 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 just, I think it's the producer's perception of what they think was funny in the 80s. And it's just a lot different than what was actually funny in the 80s for me. Amy. Made me laugh. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so one thing that they hit on that I think was actually a good idea in this movie was when they go down the ski hill and they spray the snow on the two bullies because the cliche yeah. of the antagonists in the 80s movies, there were always these locals that resented the lead characters and then challenged them to like a fight or a race or something like that. That was yep. one aspect of the movie that I, I hope that they would get right. No, they didn't, but, you know, what? I guess they tried. But everyone's wearing these bright-colored ski suits. Yeah. And MTV's playing on TV. And then they go by another TV, and it's playing Eddie Murphy's sketch of the James Brown hot tub party. Hot tub, of course. Had to. Well, of course, SNL is on the TV in the middle of the day, apparently, in 1986. Come on, wah, wah. The movie's Hot Tub Time Machine. Of course you show the hot tub scene (sighs) with Eddie Murphy. Come on. But still, I mean, and there's Alf and Reagan and the black Michael Jackson. I get it all. But that Daryl guy from The Office, he's the one that you like, right? You know, uh, well, you never watched The Office, did you? I never did. Okay, so that, what's his name? Craig Robinson? Craig Robinson. That's, yeah. he's Daryl from The Office. Okay, uh, so. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, so anyway. Um, so then, as you mentioned, they, they look in the mirror and they see themselves as teenagers. So everyone else obviously sees them this way. And that's fine. But the thing is, here's, here's the thing I had with this scene too. The teenagers look nothing like them. Nothing. Nothing like them. So in today's day and age, with all the CGI and special effects and a $30 million budget, you're telling me you can't even show younger versions of the actors that look even remotely like themselves? Again, I didn't care. It it wasn't a big deal for me. It was a throwaway gag. They only showed them a couple of times. I wasn't concerned about it at all. Just sucked so bad. Oh, God. And then Chevy Chase appears again, just like he was a thing in the 80s. So anyway, uh, like you mentioned, they decide they have to do everything the same. You know? At first. Because like the butterfly effect or whatever the hell they call it. Yeah. But one thing that stood out too, I made a note. They mentioned something about that time in Cincinnati. John Cusack apparently has a shoebox with something in it, and it's from sure. the so-called Cincinnati incident. It never gets mentioned again. I don't know if that oh. was an editing issue or just a just hole a in the joke. script. Like it's, it's just it, so bad. Oh, so no. But to me, that's just again. It it emphasizes that these guys have a shared past, and we don't need to know all the details. But it's like something like this where they they bring this up and they're like, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, you weren't ever supposed to talk about. It. Like again, it's just it's part of that scene. You don't. You don't need to know that what the details are, just that they have this shared uh, story that apparently they said they would never bring up again. You know, again, it's it's just something that they uh, they have from their past together. It, it, I think it goes one like you said, the character, especially the character of Lou, played by Rob Corddry, he he doesn't come across as a likable guy. So I think they want to emphasize that there was a time where these guys were good friends and they did things together and they had these shenanigans and they, they got into trouble and they, they did all the drugs and they did all the booze and they did all the, the sleeping around. Like it's uh, I think, I think as long as you 
are, are as long as you can believe that, then this works. And for me, I did. And it did. Well, like I said, I mean, this movie, obviously, you want to suspend your disbelief, you know, quite a bit. For that, That's fine. I'm totally on board for that. But if you're going to go back in time, if you're going to go back to 1986, like I said, just get it right. They, they go back. There's a 21 Jump Street reference. That show didn't come out till 87. You know, and then they, they, they just, oh, the, the nostalgic reference. They play Sweet Child of Mine. It didn't come out till 88. They screwed that one up too. This, it's like a machine gun fire of crap in this movie. They got everything wrong. The, the script, the casting, the directing, the 80s references. Everything is wrong in this movie. Anyway, so they go to the bar scene that you mentioned where they're playing the football game. And yes. And that's when Cordry makes the bet with the guy from the Karate Kid. Yes. And, and he has to, he has to, he loses the bet. He's got to do the, the sex act on Daryl from the office and yes. like so this is where the one line like i mentioned was like just it was the only line in the movie for me that was even remotely funny when cordry gets in front of daryl and he says it looks like gary coleman's forearm okay so that that made me laugh but but to me even that was like it was just it stole a similar line from austin powers gold member you know, like, they're, I don't know, just, but then the scene continues. It, they go into the bathroom. There's the whole hand soap on the face thing. Oh, that, which, again, oh. made me laugh. So no, much. is this a millennial that's idea? Blues, man. That's your lowest common denominator. That I, I kill myself laughing at this. Especially is, the first time, I was beside oh, myself. I couldn't so stop dumb. laughing. Is this is this a millennial's idea of what Jet X comedies are supposed to be like? Because it misses the mark. I just, I don't know. Uh, so Daryl's character, whatever he is, he goes on stage to sing with the band. And then yeah. he, he thinks back and he remembers that he bombed. Yeah. So he changes the song to Jesse's Girl. Goes over good with the crowd. Awesome. But then he sings Let's Get It Started by the Black Eyed Peas. Yep. And you know, in the, the whole thing, the time that he's doing this, I'm thinking, I really, really liked this scene the first time I saw it when it was in Back to the Future. Yeah. Only Marty McFly doing Johnny B. Good by Chuck Berry was so much better because at least in Back to the Future, the audience didn't get it, right? And that's what made the whole scene work. It made Marty's line so good when he says, you might not like it, but your kids are going to love it. You know, here you've got an audience of people from 1986 digging the Black Eyed Peas. I don't know, just it's so bad. Oh, God. Um, the bad guys think that these guys are Russian spies or something. Yeah. Because of the can of the Russian Red Bull. And that's what yeah. they need to dump in the hot tub right, to get them back. And that's all good. And like you mentioned, Cordry gets uh, in a fight, which we don't care because he's an obnoxious idiot. And we just we yeah. want to see him get beat up anyway. Um, and then they go to the, the rooftop scene when they're all talking on the roof and they're talking to Cordry. And, and, and I just made a note. I'm like, who wrote this dialogue? That, that, that's scene. Go back and watch that scene. Some of the single worst dialogue I've ever heard in a movie in my life. I just, what a mess. Uh, it's it. The thing is, it's so bad. You can't even just turn off your brain and enjoy it as a lighthearted comedy because it's mean-spirited and it's gross and it's repugnant. And, and going back to what I said earlier about Judd Apatow and how he makes good comedies, the thing for me with Judd Apatow's movies and movies from the 70s and 80s, the comedies, for me anyway, is that I feel that those movies all have a big heart. Underneath the veneer of the raunchy comedy, there's a lot of heart in Judd Apatow's movies. And that's what I think they needed to inject into this movie. Does that make sense? Uh, sure. I, I'll give you that. Um, for me, I'm the other way. I did. I do just turn with this. I turn off my brain and I laugh at the fart jokes. It's uh, to me, that's all I expected from this. It delivers again and again and again. I'm OK with it. The dialogue being cheesy didn't bother me. I I'm basically... With a movie called Hot Tub Time Machine, the bar is lowered for me before I even walk in the door, and I'm okay with that. And it works on the level that I expected to, and I feel that there's enough uh, enough comedy in here for me that I, I wa I've watched it multiple times, and I still laugh. There are some scenes, like that scene in the bathroom, I kill myself every time I, I watch that scene. It just makes me laugh so much. Uh, but if you're looking for something a little a little deeper – with a little more meaning to it, then yeah, this isn't going to work for you. This That's not the kind of movie they're trying to make. Well, I mean, I wasn't necessarily looking for something deeper. I knew what I was getting into going in. Like you mentioned, it's called Hop Tub, Hop Tub Time Machine for crying out loud. So it's all good. Um, but the girl that is supposed to be Cusack's love interest, even that, zero chemistry between them. There's yeah. nothing. And then when that, when that Daryl guy calls his wife, 
and she's like nine years old. Oh, it's see, just, I laughed oh, my butt off on that one. Oh, I thought that oh. was funny. Oh, and I didn't think so. And then when Cusack is supposed to, every one of these 70s and 80s movies, a lot of them, have a scene where, where they try and motivate the characters. Um, Bill Murray did it in Meatballs. <clears throat> John Belushi did it in Animal House. And in this scene, uh, Cusack is supposed to motivate Cordry to get in there and fight. It's just oh, yeah. so bad. Oh. But he calls him on it, too. He goes, this isn't helping. Like, I know. Just, he oh. deliberately calls him out on the fact that he's and got that, this oh. terrible inspirational speech. And that, whole, and that it doesn't work. Oh, that whole scene right after that when they walk in on Cordry having sex with the girl. And they interrupt him and the kid disappears. So he's got to like finish the job. So the kid will be conceived. Like what a mess. Oh, oh that was funny. I mean, again, again, this is a comedy. Is this what comedies become? No, thanks. I'll just go back to watching actual movies from the eighties. I'll just, uh, and then at the end, Cordry sets, like he stays behind, which again would have worked on so many other levels. So much better if he was likable and he decided, Oh, I'm going to stay back. And then he sets them all up with like good lives. Like with a feel-good ending. Ugh. Oh, jeez. And then I found out, I did some research, and I found out they made a sequel to this goddamn thing. Oh, the sequel was terrible. Jesus. I mean. I, I had high hopes for the sequel because I really liked the first one. But uh, no, the sequel was really bad. The movie didn't do very well. I'm just uh, checking out from uh, 19, uh, or sorry, 2010. It finished 67th at the box office. Sure. That, yeah, I mean, you know, so I mean, I gotta that? think it made its money back though. Did uh, yeah, you have the number there. How much did it make? It did. So it. Uh, let me just see here. It. It. The actual budget was thirty six million, and it made uh, sixty four. So, so there you go, double, uh, almost doubled it. Yeah, it made money. Um, but uh, lots of movies, you know, obviously finished ahead of it. But jeez, I don't tell you, Alvin and the Chipmunks, the Squeakquel, Date Night. You know, the town. I don't even know what that is. Red. Never the heard of it. Really good. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Dear John, Unstoppable. Unstoppable is excellent. We're going to do that on a future episode. Night and day. Oh, geez. Dinner for schmucks. Ugh, all these movies made more money than it. Uh, not, not that that's, you know, the movie had horrible script, horrible casting, horrible acting, horrible directing. It. You know what? At this point of the, 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 the podcast, we usually give it a rating out of 10. This sure. movie doesn't even get a one out of 10. I'm coming up with a new rating for our system. It gets a turkey. Jeez. <laughs> For other, me, I'm giving, other than I'm, that, I thought it was great. I'm giving this, depending on the day of the week, between a six and a half and a seven. Oh, wow. You know, I mean, it's a comedy, so it's not going to be gold. It's not going to win an Oscar. Uh, and I don't expect it to. But for me, it had it had a lot of the stuff I like. It had the the lowbrow humor in it, like tons of lowbrow humor, which was fine with me. It made a lot of uh, uh, references to 80s stuff. There was a lot of like wink, wink going on where they were, uh, you know, trying to pay homage to some of those 80s comedies or straight out rip them off um and, and again it was very in my mind it was very self-aware deliberately and that worked for me on a lot of levels uh, and then you had things like the running gag with crispin glover's arm it to me i liked it i liked it a lot i would still recommend this to people and i will definitely watch this again and i was glad that i had a chance to watch it again this week so Oh, like, I'm a little bummed you didn't like yeah, it. I thought I know. you would have had some stuff that in there that you did like. But I think sometimes, especially with these harebrained comedies, you might just be a little too critical. Um, and you might just need to, like, turn your brain off and, and try and enjoy it for what it is, which, you know, it's it's a it's a harebrained screwball uh, comedy. I think so. the thing is, like, nobody likes to turn their brain off and watch a good comedy more than me. I really, I really do. Like I say, I love all those classic comedies from the, the 70s and 80s. But it just... I don't know, man. I just, uh, I, I'm the old guy who just doesn't get any new stuff. I just don't feel like comedies now, at least the ones I've seen recently and the ones I have to watch for this podcast, I just don't feel the comedies are all that good. Judd Apatow's different story. He does, he does stuff differently. Like from a directing point of view, I just feel like he's able to coax performances out of his actors that almost feel improvisational. In nature, and 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 that, maybe that's part of it too. Is a lot of the older comedies, a lot of the scenes that they do, are not even in the script. They just improvise a lot. They improvise, 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 and they try to pull comedy and they try to get the the actors to really understand the characters, and then just improvise and improvise. And this movie was just like a by the book mess. Oh God, just so bad. Oh. So think of this, Chris. Mm -hmm. um, you got to also think of the time we're in now, where. The typical audience that would go like you've got to assume this comedy is is intended for, let's say, 13 to 30 year olds. 
right? 13. You, no, this has got to be a restricted movie. There's okay, there's yeah, nudity so, in it. There's like every second words, the F-bomb has to be restricted. Realistically, right? the people making this movie know that once it goes out onto, once it's on streaming services, once available on DVD, there people, teenagers are going to want to see this. Uh, so if we assume the audience is generously, say 13 to 30, um, you got to think about today's 13 to 30 year olds. They are used to consuming things in short snippets on YouTube, on their phone, through social media. They want short bits. And you look at some of the most popular comedy websites right now, and it is. It's all these very short sketches and vignettes. You don't have long 60-minute comedies being produced because that's not the way today's young person consumes media in any way, let alone in comedic fashion. So I think your your com- comment about, you know, the comedy has died, it has died because the way we consume media has changed and it's exceptionally difficult to reach the young person today that would have been the same demographic in the 80s. In the 80s, we would have been a lot more uh, willing to sit for two hours in a dark theater to watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off or Stripes or whatever you might have, Ghostbusters, because there weren't a lot of alternatives. And whereas today there is so much choice that I think the younger people don't want to go to see a 90-minute comedy in a theater. They'd rather see 10 five-minute segments done up on YouTube. Uh, and so that makes makes it that much more difficult for a filmmaker today to put together a full comedy movie that's going to hit with that demographic. That's a, I think that's, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point because I think back in the day, you know, if you wanted to see people saying bad words or if you wanted to see, you know, uh, naked chest, you know, uh, you had to see these movies. You had to watch Fast Times at Ridgemont High or Stripes or something like that, you know, on the movie network, you know, in order to, to see that kind of stuff. And now you can just see that stuff on YouTube for crying out loud. So... Yeah, I guess, you know, times are different. It's just too bad. Times were simpler back in my day. Get off my lawn, you know? So that's the way it is. Uh, Anyway, on that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. Okay, when it came time for me to come up with a premise for this week's Fun with Caveman, I was thinking about going with movies that suck, but I decided to play nice, okay? Okay. So the premise is going to be movies that involve time travel. Okay, here's what I'm going to wow. do. Okay. I'm going to give you the year and the synopsis. You name the movie. Just keep in mind, all the movies from tonight's trivia involve time travel movies. Okay. 19, okay. 1951. We're going to go way back. Wow. A curmudgeonly, miserly businessman has no time for sentimentality and largely views Christmas as a waste of time. However, this Christmas Eve, he will be visited by three spirits who will show him the error of his ways. That sounds very much like uh, Christmas Carol. That is correct. You are right. Okay, 1968. An astronaut crew crash lands on a planet in the distant future where intelligent talking apes are the dominant species and humans are the oppressed and enslaved. That is Planet of the Apes, Charlton Heston. Very good. See, you're doing well on this. Yeah, I like I like time travel genre. So yeah, I'm, you'll do you'll well you'll do well. Video. You'll do well on this one. 1989. Two seemingly dumb teens set off on a quest to prepare the ultimate historical presentation with the help of a time machine. That would be Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. It would be Bill and Party Ted's on, excellent. Dudes. Yes, very good. Okay, 1999. An evil mastermind is back and has invented a new time machine that allows him to go back to the 1960s and steal his arch nemesis's mojo, inadvertently leaving him shagless. Yeah, you mentioned this earlier. This is the second Austin Powers movie. It was called um, Austin Powers, The Spy of Shagman. Correct. It is, yes. I mentioned Goldmember, I think, earlier, but this is the Spy Shagman. You got it right. Okay, 1960. Based on the novel by H.G. Wells, in this film, a man's vision for a utopian society is disillusioned when traveling forward into time reveals a dark and dangerous society. Is this H.G. Uh, Wells' time machine? It is the time machine. Congratulations. Okay. 1994. Max Walker 
An officer for a security agency that regulates time travel must fend for his life against a shady politician who's intent on changing the past to control the future. Uh, I've never seen it, but I'm pretty sure this is Time Cop. Jean-Claude Van Damme, you got it right. Okay, 1986. A woman faints at a high school reunion when she wakes up she finds herself in her own past just before she finished high school. Uh, Again, another one I've never seen, but I think this one was called Peggy Sue Got Married. It is correct. Very good. Oh, you're just doing so well on this genre, aren't you? All right. 2004, a girl makes a wish on her 13th birthday and wakes up the next day as a 30-year-old woman. Um... Uh, this is one with Jennifer Garner, right? It was um, 13 going on 30. Yes, and the clues were definitely in the uh, synopsis yeah. for you there. Okay, 1995. In a future world devastated by disease, a convict is sent back in time to gather information about the man-made virus that wiped out most of the human population on the planet. Uh, If this is the one I'm thinking of, Brad Pitt was nominated for an Oscar for this one, and it was 12 Monkeys. It was 12 Monkeys. You are just on a roll. Okay. 1981, a personal favorite of mine. A young boy accidentally joins a band of time-traveling dwarfs as they jump from era to era looking for treasure to steal. Uh, This was uh, Terry Gilliam, right? Time Bandits? Yes, it was. Very good. Okay, 2004. Evan Treborn suffers blackouts during significant events of his life. As he grows up, he finds a way to remember those lost memories and a supernatural way to alter his life by reading his journal. Wow. Uh, Was that... um, I'm, I'm just grasping at straws here. Was that the butterfly effect? It was the butterfly oh, effect. Oh, yeah. Good job. Nicely done. Okay, 1985. Another movie I liked. A high school student and his friend find a strange, orb-like piece of equipment to use as a science project, but must stop it when it begins to threaten mankind. Wow. This And this was a time travel movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it... Oh, man. From 85, you said? 1985. Wow. That does not even sound familiar. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a total guess here. Was it The Navigator? It was not. It was My Science Project. Never oh, it. oh, it's a good movie. Oh, I like that movie a lot. Okay, 1986. In 1978, a boy travels eight years into the future and has an adventure with an intelligent, wisecracking alien ship. Wow. Uh, wow. I had to make them a bit harder as we went on. Yeah, no kidding. Was this one the Flight of the Navigator? It was the Flight of the Navigator. Nicely done. Okay, two more for you. Wasn't Pee Wee Herman the voice of the ship? What's that? Wasn't Pee Wee Herman the voice of the ship in that? Uh, He might have been. I don't know. I think he was for part of it. All right, two more. 1992, Bounty Hunters from the Future transport a doomed race car driver to New York City in 2009, where his mind will be replaced with that of a dead billionaire. Yeah, this one had Mick Jagger, right? It was uh, Free Jack or Free Jack? I think it was Free Jack. Free Jack is correct. And the last one, 1980, a Chicago playwright uses self-hypnosis to travel back in time and meet the actress whose vintage portrait hangs in a grand hotel. So I think I know the answer to this. And if it is what I think it is, I actually have it on my PVR right now because I've never seen it. And I've always wanted to. Was it uh, the one with Christopher Reeves? And it was called uh, A Moment in Time, I think. I'm sorry. It was Somewhere in Time. Somewhere in Time. But that's the one, right? Yes. With Christopher Reeves? That's the one. Yeah. I remember this movie it. being on the movie channel when I was about 11 years old. I was excited because Superman was in it until I watched it because, man, it was boring. Oh, but yeah, you're right. Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. I liked her for Battlestar Galactica. So I remember at the time I thought it might be a good movie. 
it wasn't. Um, but anyway, so you did pretty good. You got, you, yeah, got, you do, you yeah. do like the, a, the genre. Eh? Yeah. There's a really good, uh, there's a really good, um, uh, time travel movie that's called, um, primer. It's from 2004. It was, uh, an independent film that actually, um, uh, did very well. Uh, like financially did well considering it cost almost nothing to make. It was really good. If you're into to like time travel type movies, it's a real uh, mind. It really screws with your mind. It's like the, there's paradoxes, but not really. And they really do a good job of like setting up the clues because the characters are like going back and forth in their own lives to change things. But it's not one of these ones where, well, we live through this event and then we go back and then we change it. It's like all it's all predetermined. It's 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 a real head scratcher, but it makes total sense once you see the ending and you're like, oh, my God, like, yeah, how did I not see that? It's called Primer. So if you're a big time travel movie buff and you have not seen Primer from 2004, do yourself a favor. Try and find it. It's not very long. It's only an hour and 17 minutes. It's a little on the short side. It was an independent film excellent movie not a huge time travel movie guy i like back to the future obviously was great and i think i mentioned this on a previous podcast it might be surprising to some people but i've never seen back to the future two or three two was not great uh and three i found grew on me the more times i saw it again i didn't really care for either two or three the very first time i saw them but upon rewatch part three's really grown on me over the years i think i remember hearing that part three was like really really good I think it was my wife Aww. even said it's it's a really really good movie and I'm I'm sure it is. I don't know if it needs two reallys, but it, it, it was certainly it, it was a, certainly a good sequel, better than the second one. The second one to me was a lot was a hot mess, and then the third one mm. really just sort of put it put it down and said like this is what this movie's going to be, and it it really worked. It really worked well. I think for me, I just I loved the first movie so much. I just didn't want to ruin it by watching the sequels that were like subpar. Yeah, the first you know, one is definitely oh, the first a, one is a so all-time good. great. Oh, it's so great good. movie, great performance, great soundtrack, great directing. It's uh yeah, it's it's good all around. The yeah, Back to the Future certainly you could argue the best time travel movie ever made. I, I would have no argument on that one. I would probably say that it would would be for sure. Obviously, I left it off the list in our trivia tonight because, you know, it would have been too easy. Uh, so we're going to come back next episode, probably do a top five list. We'll uh, figure out what that's going to be, and we'll come back and do that. Also, like I mentioned on the top of the show, if you want to reach Derek on Twitter, you can get him at Amaron underscore DM. You'll find me on Twitter at C. McBrien, and popgoesyourworld.com is our website. All of our contact information is on there, including, including our email, if you'd like to shoot us an email. But until next time, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying... Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 